Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind, and I am here with Laura Tucker, leadership coach and host of the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. Laura, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Awesome, Laura. So really excited to get into your story and, and, and what brought you to where you are today. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are, what you're doing right now, and then, uh, and then we get into the, uh, into the thick of things? Sure. So um, I'm a leadership coach, which encompasses all areas of leadership from personal mastery, uh, which is, I believe, essential that if you want to have an impact with other people, you have to be able to uh, give yourself an order and uh, follow it, for lack of a better term. Um, Yeah. And so most of my clients either own their own business or have senior positions in business where they're overseeing either a group of employees or serving um, clientele. And uh, my approach with them, they usually come to me after they've been knocking around out in the self-help universe for a little while, maybe taking a few online programs and, uh, and really want to dig deep and, uh, and just figure this thing called success and an integrated life out so they can be happy in their business. Right. And, and there's so that last kind of little bit that you said about, you know, figuring out success and all that is, is there's so much to it. And I definitely want to get into that a little bit further. But first of all, Laura, you have a really cool background. There's, there's a lot of depth to it. You have multiple degrees. You've worked in multiple different areas. Um, I'd love to talk about how your professional life started if you can tell us a little bit about that, where you first began, and we can kind of learn how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, there's been a lot of stages in my professional life and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, reinvention. So um, when I came out of school with my bachelor's of science degree, I went into teaching. So I was actually teaching grade school, primary, junior, and then high school. And, uh, and during the time that I was a teacher, I just, I loved the kids. I loved being in that position of responsibility and leadership. But what I found out um, in a very emotionally difficult way was that at that time, the labor situation was extremely unstable. And you know, most people I think are aware that teaching is a union position. It's not what most people think of when they're going into teaching bright eyed and and wanting to work with kids. And I found out through various work to rules and strikes and being laid off on my birthday and this and that, that, yeah, I just, um, yeah. And it was, it was really a struggle. And I couldn't wrap my head around, you know, wanting to be the best teacher that I could be um, and having no security at that point in time, um, you know, as a young teacher with nothing remarkable about her except for one of many teachers looking for a job. So I, I left for the private sector and my first position outside of teaching was as a trainer which was like a a unilateral move. I kept the same skill set going, but changed my environment. And that's how I fell in love with business because the company that I went to work for, they um, sold and provide and still do um, infrastructure for business to uh, car dealerships. So I learned business from the inside out under you know, the roof of a, a car dealership, which ultimately has about maybe six or seven businesses in it. So after 
learning sort of best practices and, and a few years in sales, I eventually left and started my own consulting company where I went back to some of my former clients and said, hey, do you think with my skills as a teacher, my knowledge of your tools and your business, do you think there's a market for what I could offer? And the first person that I spoke to immediately turned around and hired me and said, you know, right. we're going to do all this stuff that you've sold me on over these years that we never seemed to be able to implement. And that was the beginning of, you know, an almost, I think, 15-year consulting business in the automotive industry. Wow. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that I want to call it uh, maybe not a maybe not pivot is the right word because you were still um, using the skills and, and knowledge that you had from that training career, but can you take us through what it was like in your headspace leading up to that? Had you been thinking about it for a while? Did you have the kind of entrepreneurial itch for a while? Was that always ingrained in you? You know things like that. No, it, I, I don't really think it was. I think it was something that was cultivated over time when I realized that usually I was falling outside of the status quo. And anytime I found myself in a position where I was either achieving, um, you know, very, very highly as I was, say, in sales, I always kind of felt a little bit like an outsider to the process. And, uh, and that led me, I, I fell out um, to be, you know, fully transparent. I fell out with the management of my um, company. And it was one of those situations where I was like, I got to get out of here. My values don't align with what's going on here. Didn't appreciate the way I was being treated um, in the aftermath of a family um, crisis. And so I actually took a sidestep. I thought I wanted to leave automotive and stay in sales. And I took a sidestep that lasted about two months before I realized I'd made a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. And so my company was born out of necessity. And, uh, and which isn't, I don't think, a bad way for a company to be created because it's your need um, meets with a need of a consumer. Mm -hmm. And together you can put together a solution and if there's value um, in what you have to offer, then it's likely you can create a business out of it. Right. But what was it that gave you the push to start it other than the customer? If, if, it, what, if you weren't so kind of entrepreneurially inclined leading uh, or up to that point in your career, like why, why didn't you just go get another sales job or, or something like that? Well, I do remember considering it. And I was, you know, after that point in time, I had accumulated a certain amount of experience and a certain amount of um, confidence. And I think at that point, I was really a little bit worn out by all these environments where I didn't have a heck of a lot of influence. Right. So I wanted to create my own. I wanted to try. I always knew, and this is the thing, I always knew I had a safety net. Right. And the safety net would have been to go and get another sales job. Or the safety net before that would have been to go back to teaching. Um, but the safety net would have also felt like failing. So I was never really willing to, to go back. I just, you know, wanted to move forward. And that very much, you know, many years later, that's one of my, that's who I am. And so even without having much awareness around who I really was or um, what my values were at the time, um, 
yeah, it just, I've, I've always been who I am. And I finally, after all of that change, was able to create an, an environment where I thrive and that I'm happy and that I'm passionate about. So I consider myself extremely fortunate in that way. Awesome. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it. And I'm sure that mixed with a lot of hard work. And Laura, what, what do you think about then the thought that entrepreneurs are, are born rather than, uh, you know, trained or cultivated was the word I think that you used? Because I will say, the majority of guests I have on the show seem to have a little bit of it ingrained in them. So they, they show um, signs of it even, you know, in as young as grade school or, or high school. And a lot of them don't even get a, a real job, you know, quote unquote, a real job and, and just kind of always take the entrepreneurial path. Not that that's the right path, right? Or a better path. But I'm curious to know because when you mentioned that it did kind of stand out a little bit, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on whether, I mean, I guess there is no right answer either way. I'm even trying to think of my answer of whether entrepreneurialism is, is more of a learned or cultivated kind of skill or, or trait or more something that certain people tend to gravitate towards. Yeah. I don't know if I have a firm answer for that one. I think that there are, some characteristics that mm. define um, people who are entrepreneurial in spirit. And, you know, and I think that they are characteristics that are inherent in success. So whether you would be, say, working in a corporation or working for yourself, um, just anticipating that you might ask me what those are. One for sure is resilience, you know, ability to either take a no, which can be rejection, um, stay in the game when it's frustrating. Um, I think we're sold a lot of these, you know, sort of glitzy, polished ideas of what having your own business or being a quote unquote entrepreneur or solopreneur is all about. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's a tremendous amount of freedom in it, but that freedom takes a lot of work. And so, sure. you know, so I often find there's a disconnect between people's expectations and what they're willing or able to do to meet those expectations. Absolutely. I think that's a great answer. And I definitely agree with it. It's one of the main motivations behind the brand name that I use right now. And uh, yeah, totally agree with you there. So let's go back to the story when you start out on your own, you, you approach this first client, they hire you. Awesome. You're one for one. That's probably a, you know, much better than, than most of us were starting out. But what were some of the other first steps or, or, or even first kind of six months looking like for you once you got your business started? Well, I figured out pretty quickly that one client does not make a business. Right. <laughs> right? Now, I was very fortunate that one client wanted me around for full-time hours, full-time, full you know, like a contract worker. But um, I also didn't want to be, having just come out of that situation where I was more or less at the mercy of my boss, I didn't want to have just one boss. 
I went and I got myself a whole lot of bosses, um, otherwise known as other clients. Um, So, uh, you know, there's, so that was, you know, being able to start to go out and communicate what I was able to produce in in terms of results and, uh, and find good clients um, who would be amenable to change and who would be amenable at that point in time um, to, you know, taking um, advice and counsel from, you know, a young woman, which wasn't every leader at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was really important. And then, you know, I slowly got the infrastructure um, put in underneath me and then moved my business out west. I was living in Toronto at the time and decided that I wanted to go and live in another part of the country. So, uh, so then I was able to leverage a move to go in at another level because I had accumulated a couple of years of experience and results. And so in that move across the country, I was able to um, raise my rates and, and come forward with a more of a you know, a system or in terms of how I approach the businesses. And yeah, it was great that way. You know, sometimes wiping the slate clean and then going in at a higher level can be really um, lucrative, but also very um, empowering for everyone involved. For sure. And coming from some sales experience, which I think is great experience to have going in for any solopreneur, um, do you think that was a big advantage? And for those who are thinking of getting started who may not have any marketing or sales experience, could you share a few pieces of advice of, of what worked for you, especially when you were starting? Um, well, I'm actually thinking of a couple of conversations recently with, with some of my clients um, where we've, I've realized that, um, that they didn't know how to sell. Mm-hmm. And this was a, this is a ceiling on their ability to perform because being to me, selling is is serving, but it's also uh, being able to communicate in an effective, directed manner. Right. You know, so I'm not about you know the tactics of say closing or you know or slogany stuff but but being able to go in and understand what the sale the stages of a selling process is as a professional salesperson not someone who's perceived to be salesy because there's a lot of judgment and there's even judgment amongst you know solopreneurs entrepreneurs around sales but you won't find that amongst successful um people because they understand it's part of the process. And so oftentimes what I find is that um, people who are newer to selling um, skip steps Mm -hmm. and they don't ask enough questions. They don't listen enough and therefore they're not able to communicate a value statement or how they're going to be able to serve um, and just want to jump right to the close because they're uncomfortable. Right. And it's that jumping right to, you know, this is what I do, this is how much, without taking the time to build that relationship, become an expert in the client's challenges and, and legitimately determining whether or not their solution matches the challenge. This is, to me, that's an art form. 
And it's one that I've been reflecting back on recently, just because of how a couple of things have shown up in, in, in session and thinking, oh, I can't take this for granted. I need to investigate myself whether or not this person understands what they're doing when they're going in to have a, you know, a respectful sales conversation. Absolutely. There's a lot of great stuff uh, in there, Laura, and I definitely agree with the part about being able to create clear messaging because as, so I practice in immigration law and most quote unquote sales calls that I have are with potential clients who already kind of know that they need my service. And really the call is mostly, can I convey the proper details in plain English so that they understand the process, the timeline, the costs and, and things like that. And, and there often is just a, a quick, you know, soft pitch at the end. And as long as I did the created a clear message, like you said, it, it's uh, fairly straightforward. And, and once you get a lot of experience doing that, especially selling the same product or service over a long period of time, you, you're going to improve it. Um, but I, I definitely agree with that. And, uh, I just had an Instagram post today talking about the importance of sales and marketing for solopreneurs because without it, I mean, what's your business without sales, right? Uh, it's, it's the lifeblood of the business. So um, definitely agree with all of that. And, and so what was the, or what has the transition looked like from that first business that you started to where you are now? Well, Back in 2007, 2008, I um, was doing what I did. You know, I was this solopreneur with this great referral-only business, splitting my time between where I was living, which was uh, Kelowna, BC, and um, the Lower Mainland, which is Vancouver and the surrounding area. So really super lifestyle, beautiful geography. Mm-hmm. And um, I went on a number of personal development um, courses down in the States that came out of, um, at the time, what was a very popular DVD that was circulating called The Secret. And I learned a number of principles that I just had never either been aware of or ever had business or life presented to me in that way. And at the same time, I was working in an industry and serving in an industry that was about to be severely affected by what became known as the Great Recession. Right. And so at the same time that I was investing very heavily in myself and learning um, a different mindset and mentality around success, the bottom was falling out and I had immediate cause to start learning and practicing every single thing that I was learning right there in my business. Because in order to survive the recession myself, I needed to make sure that I did not become a discretionary expense like most consultants would. And, uh, and so I started combining um, the, the processes and the systems and the tools with the mindset of, um, you know, it being business being an inner game, basically, and, uh, and was able to using that sort of one two approach, um, help these, I think it was 
I think it was 10 dealerships. That was the, my clientele at the time helped them weather um, the storm of the recession. And I'm very proud even now looking back that, you know, I didn't lose a client relative to their peers, um, especially the ones who had been working with me for some time. Um, they did very relatively well. And, uh, and so it just sort of proved out to me that it, the two go hand in hand. So that led me ultimately to, you know, after being in that environment of the car dealerships for that long, I wanted to try my hand at, at uh, coaching and guiding outside of the industry and, and focusing more on the people because it, it came down to it, it really wasn't about the, the people. Oh, sorry, I misspoke. Um, it really wasn't about the tools that we were using, the data that we had. Um, it was about how we conducted ourselves and, and could we become resilient to that? No, because they started to hear no all the time. And, um, and so to not take it personally, to stay in the game made all the difference. And, uh, and it wasn't easy. It was really, talk about the solopreneur grind. The whole thing was a grind. Right. Yeah. And, and I want to get into that a little bit more right now, actually, but just wanted to highlight the importance of personal development, because that's one thing that you will always get some form of return on that investment, right? As you said, going through the recession, you were wisely spending money on yourself and, and, and improving your own, uh, let's call it net worth, maybe not net worth is the right word, but you know, the, the, how valuable you are as an asset to other people, to other businesses. And no matter how many recessions there are, nobody can take that away from you. Right. So that's, uh, Really cool to hear. Can, can we double down on, on what the grind was like? Because one of the main reasons I started this show and this brand really is, and, and you touched on this earlier, we don't really get to see or hear too much about the struggles and, and what goes into the uh, overnight successes that were 10 years in the making. Could you talk about maybe one or two of the really tough times uh, even if, even if things were going well, right? Because you were doing well, you had these clients, they were very loyal to you. But what were some of the really tough times like? Oh, you're making me think here. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, you're going to have to edit out this pause. Um, <laughs> I kind of don't want to because it, it, it uh, I mean, A, it, it's, authenticity right and b is it, it's kind of tough to think about definitely on the spot but but i know that there's you know it, it's it's sometimes that you know we kind of put it behind us and don't often think about it too much or reflect on it too much right so i'm thinking of back in the sort of the depths of the recession mm -hmm. trying to keep both the uh the owner so um if the listener isn't familiar with how it works in the car business is that those uh dealerships are not owned by the manufacturer they are owned by franchisees so there is there is a boss there is a person whether 
that is someone who's got a family or whether it's a large dealer group. Um, there is somebody who, when things slow down, they're personally affected. It costs them, right? And it's likely they have to make some changes. Um, so managing where the leader was, you know, and, and having closed door conversations that were extremely private about their frustrations and their anxiety about how to keep, it all became about keeping the people employed. Right. And then at the opposite end of the spectrum, the frontline um, person who was facing the customer every day who likely had their own business or their own job that was unstable and who were getting no and trying to keep that balance between you know, making human decisions versus bottom line, what needed to be, you know, done for the business. It was really tough um, because not everybody was able to adapt. Right. And, you know, there would be, um, it was very, very, very rare that anybody lost their job. But when there's expansion in a business, times are good, sometimes even in spite of the, the people and the ownership and the leadership. And then when there's contraction, it really forces, like if you can't learn and you can't adapt, chances are you're not going to make it, mm -hmm. period, end of story. So there were some very difficult conversations um, because even though, you know, we, we're touching on personal development, um, you know, I believe in personal development with substance. I don't, I, I don't, you know, buy into you know, quoting other people all day long and not really having an experience to, to match it. And I know there's a lot of that out there. So I try to bring some sensibil sensibility and some gravitas to it without being overly serious. But when things get tough, um, you got to dig deep. And I'm seeing signs of that happening now or soon. So I don't think there's a better time for a message like that to, to be talked about because I don't think you're going to find that on Facebook until it's already over. Right. Yeah, I, I totally relate to that. And that's one reason why I'm not the biggest user of Instagram. Uh, I actually don't use it personally. I use it a little bit for business. But like you said, it's, it's a lot of very surface level quotes and uh, without much substance or context to it. Um, it, it's very hard to uh, kind of convey proper and, and strong messaging. So uh, I totally agree with you there. So, so let's go back to some more positive stuff then, Laura. Sure, yeah. I really appreciate you going into that because I do think it's important. Um, and so you're looking to transition to more of this leadership coaching um, type of, of business, let's call it. How did that look? Well, um, that change... Um, was not like every other change that I've made to date mm -hmm. because every other step of the way, whether it was teaching to trainer, trainer to sales, sales to my own business, there was always like a one step. Um, you know, I wasn't changing both the environment and my role at the same time. Right. And if anyone wants a really good resource for that, um, the book, What Color Is Your Parachute, which gets published every single year, is where I, when I left teaching, it was the, it was like my manual for being able to um, articulate what my transferable skills were. 
And I followed the approach in the book about not changing everything at once. But fast forward, you know, 15 or more years later, um, my husband and I were moving back from, to Toronto from BC. And, uh, and we had actually had another business, a bricks and mortar, a small gym um, in Vernon, British Columbia. So we sold that business that we had built. And, uh, and I was saying, well, if we're coming back to Toronto, I don't want to continue with the being in the dealerships. So I literally, you know, closed down that business. And, uh, and then when we got back to Toronto, without network, or without um, really any, uh, any clientele, I started all over again. (laughs) But but like you said earlier, out of out of necessity can be a very good thing right you kind of put yourself into a situation where you start the business and then out of necessity you got to go start making sales right so it's kind of that inherent kick in the ass Uh, like that must have lit a fire under you at least a little bit i would assume Oh, it certainly did. And even as I said, started all over again, I could hear one of my coaches saying to me, Laura, you're never starting over again. Because that's been one of my beliefs is like, oh, back to square one. And uh, which speaks to the value of a coach, because you need to have somebody pointing those things out to you. Because somebody who thinks that they're starting at square one, thinks that they've got no value. And um, to some degree, I did make a bit of, of some mistakes in that area where I, um, I went in um, at the low end of the market. And, and so there was a mismatch. And it wasn't until I found that equilibrium between where my skills and abilities lie as a business person and a coach and where that sort of matching client was, because that client's not new. Mm-hmm. And and so there was a lot of experimentation that happened with with my programs and businesses and where I would network, and uh, and experimentation fortunately is something that I'm very comfortable doing, and uh, and and willingness to experiment. Going back to one of your earlier questions is another um, one of those qualities that you know people who uh, consider themselves entrepreneurs. It's all an experiment. Yeah, I mean, I've never done something with so many subjective decisions to be made uh, day after day, right? Like everything we decide to do in any given day, you could argue is maybe not the best way to do it, right? I mean, I think one way to define business is just in, like an organized uh, an organized sequence of, of tests, right? To kind of figure out what, what works and then double down on it. Uh, for those people who aren't so inclined to experiment, Laura, could you give some tips, uh, maybe some directed at coaches or, you know, like one or two for coaches and, and or one or two a little bit more general that anyone could apply? Sure. Although I don't really differentiate between coaches and other business people. Right. I think the challenges are, are, are the same. Um, the first thing that I would say, and it's very much tied to um, – your willingness um, or ability to experiment is that a lot of this process of becoming successful on your own terms has to do with um, figuring out, first of all, who you are, but also letting go of really any idea 
of being attached to perfection. Right. Um, that it has to be right before it becomes public and that it has to be just so. I mean, it has to be at a certain level of quality and, and a certain amount of clarity for people to be able to understand. But I find a lot of people, especially the people who are newer to the, the game, so to speak, try to get everything done just right before taking any meaningful action. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether that's a business card, a website, um, you know, the, the program that's written up just so, um, the, really the only way that you learn is, is, is in the presence of feedback, which means involving other people in it. Right. Yeah, that, that's such a good point for, uh, for anything, not just when you're getting started. Um, very, very good point for sure. Um, so, so Laura, what if someone was interested in getting into coaching? Cause that's, I don't want to say like, uh, it's so popular, let's say, but it's definitely become a lot more popular over the last few years, right? Coaching the, the industry itself. How were you able to get your coaching business off the ground? And, and what would you say to others who might be thinking about starting on their own as well? Well, I would start with understanding what is coaching versus what is advisory or consulting. And, you know, the word coach, the term or title coach is is used liberally these days. For sure. Um, The one side of all of this that we haven't really, or that I haven't really addressed was Back in those days where I was taking a personal development um, courses, that's when I learned that coaching is a profession and I went to a very rigorous coaching school um, to learn sort of the methodology or a methodology for coaching people. And so this could be as, um, as much an answer for someone who's getting into coaching as it is for someone who's wanting to hire a coach. Right. Um, because coaching should be um, centered around the client, not around the ego or the personality of that, you know, coach or guru figure. And so, just get a good get a good idea and a good sampling, and, and understand that if you're going to be a coach, you should always have a coach. It's very difficult um, to continue on a path of growth yourself if you don't have a coach. It's also much harder to sell coaching um, when if you don't believe in what you're doing enough to be engaged in it yourself. And, and that's, a, that's a big integrity point um, for me uh, around, around becoming and being a coach. Beyond that, you know, and sometimes I have my consulting hat on when I'm talking to a client because we're looking at something that is um, is specific to the business and structures and processes of the business. And I'm very clear where I'm like, all right, I'm going to put my consulting hat on right now and start, you know, talking about what are you doing for marketing? What are you doing for retention? What are you doing for new business? And then the coaching piece is how does all of that align with who you are and how you want to show up in the world? Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what would you say if someone's interested or, or actively looking for a coach, 
of their own, other than visiting your website, what, uh, what do you <laughs> recommend they do to, I mean, even to get started and then maybe you find a few that you like to try and, and, and evaluate who might be a good fit? Well, you know, you're reminding me of an article that I have drafted, um, and it was seven questions to ask your next coach. So, um, we, we might could, have to link to that in the description. <laughs> Once I get it written, yeah. <laughs> or I'll do a podcast about it, it'll be faster. Um, you know, so finding out, you know, ask, being able to, being a coach to me means having a method of working with people. So for example, um, I have two main methods of working with people. One is uh, based on principles of environmental design. And, uh, and that's where we design the business and, and, you know, really the human experience using nine environments of, of you. And the companion to that is a method called inner freedom, where we free up energy and, for lack of a better word, um, deal with some blocks and, and resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, those I could use whether I was your business coach, your, your life coach, or your leadership coach. It wouldn't matter because they're effective coaching methodologies. So what, if you're speaking to a coach... I would never be afraid to ask, A, who their coach is and who their coaches have been, and B, what can you describe your method with clarity and, and listen to see if they can describe it with clarity. Right. Yeah, those, those are really interesting things to consider. I, I actually, this is just top of mind right now. I had, so I've used a business coach for the last year and a half. And and like you said, I I think it's really important. I love it. I think it's been extremely valuable. And he was actually on episode 40 of the podcast, two episodes prior to this, if anyone's interested to listen. But the way I found him was through Reddit because I mean, this is having no experience looking for coaches, but my thinking was I want to find someone that I can kind of relate to and at the time, I don't, I don't Reddit as much anymore, but at the time I was doing a lot of Redditing and I just started searching for coaches on Reddit and, and found one, messaged him. We had a, we had a quick consult call and, and, you know, he did, now that I think about it, he did explain his methodology and just really connected well with him on, on the phone. So uh, there are some other of those weird ways you can go about it as well. Um, Laura, are, are there two or three things that you find most of your clients struggle with or, or two or three things that you find yourself recommending to people a lot that you think you could share with the audience? I would say they struggle sometimes meeting the demands of their business and staying in alignment with their values. Right, and that's really where um, you know the name of my podcast is is free your inner guru. That's really where that came from. And you know, sometimes what happens is that that we look outside ourselves for answers, and we become influenced by 
either, you know, politics or schools of thought or what we're seeing in our environment um, all the time, which is increasingly being directed at us by um, social media or online um, environments who are increasingly just giving us more of the same and the same and the same. So we're losing our ability to uh, discern because we're not looking at anything different. And that, and it's not, and a lot of that is out of our immediate control. You know, so sometimes what happens is that the leader loses sight of what's really important to them and finds themselves making decisions that aren't, um, that cause dissonance. And eventually what happens is either the business falls into struggle or the leader falls out of love with their business. And because it doesn't truly represent, it's not what they wanted it to be in the beginning. It doesn't feel how they desired and they lose sight of it because of the pursuit of either, you know, the money or the fame or what's popular. And that's great to a degree and it might be enough to sustain some people. Um, but the real, to me, the, the, that's what I mean when I say the integrated life, when you can show up as who you are at home in your business, in your relationships, without having to put on a different hat or a different mask each way, each time, that's just so much more attractive and, you know, energetically efficient way to be right. and, uh, you know, and healthier. Bottom line, healthier. You know, so those are the things that, uh, that they do matter to people. And I never once in a million years thought that I would be out there talking about values and having an inner compass. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it can feel a little preachy, but I do think it's a lot. It's what the world needs right now is kind of grassroots back to what does it take to become a good human? with a great business and still have energy over left over to see that we're taking care of not just our own, but the community at large. And to me, that's, that's what true success is. That's a great, uh, that's a great piece of advice. Laura, one last question for you. Um, and it, and it kind of goes back to that success part and, and the life balance part. Do you have two or three pieces of advice for solopreneurs that are up and running and they are, you know, going through the grind and, and feeling it and really trying to maintain that balance? Um, so maybe things are going well with the business, but they are trying to keep all those things in mind, work-life balance, um, staying true to themselves, uh, providing value, uh, things like that, because like we alluded to earlier, it's, it's tough and it's not a tough month, right? It's, it's years and years of, of putting in a lot of time and effort. Yes. Um, I would say never compromise on self-care. Um, whether it's as I glance at my water bottle here, drinking <laughs> enough water every day or moving your body um, or taking care of your relationships um, a lot of people, and I've been, I've been this person, they'll turn around after two or three years of being sedentary in front of their computer and cutting corners on, um, 
nutrition or relationships. It's different for everybody um, or exercise. Um, you've got to give yourself permission to pull away and do something that brings you joy on one hand and helps you take care of your body on the other. And if you can have both at the same time um, and do something physical that you truly enjoy, all the better. Um, because you need that energy and there is no business that is going to, you know, solve a health problem 10, 15 years down the road. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and that's what I find a lot of people, especially in their startup years are like, well, I can't, I can't, I, I feel like if I'm not doing it all the time, I'll never get there. Um, doing it all the time is probably slowing you down. Right. And, and it's funny that you say two to three years, because from my end, if I go two to three weeks with, you know, getting away from my kind of self-care and, and, and morning and evening routines, I can feel it sometimes even just one week. So I, I totally agree with that, especially if you're spending a lot of the time uh, working by yourself. So I uh, really agree with that. Laura, really great having you on. This, these were some tough questions and I really enjoyed your answers. I think there was a ton of value in there. So this is, uh, this is something I'll definitely be re-listening to. And for those who want to hear more from you or read more about you or maybe get in touch, where can they find you? Sure. You can find me online at lauratucker.com. That's where um, the podcast lives and where everything starts online with me. Um, I am also on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. But the website and the podcast, I would say, are probably the best places. Uh, I've got a couple of free resources if people are interested in. Um, one, if you're if resonating with what I was saying about self-care, um, the Free Your Inner Guru Guidebook. It's a free resource where um, you can start that process of tuning back into yourself. Um, it's a download and then a, a series of emails. So it's like a little um, mini course. And if you're listening and you feel stuck, there's a seven-day comfort zone challenge that's a, a, a free video series of seven days of, um, I, I actually watched it myself recently, and I was like, oh, this is, I, I, I'm listening to myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, that's pretty good advice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I made it a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh, this is really great. I need to mention it more often. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, and all of this, I, I know this has been, uh, I tend towards serious, but, you know, we can't take everything so seriously. Mm -hmm. um, we put in the work and we put in the care. And, and to me, that is really what it's all about. For sure. I can't agree with that anymore as someone who's been doing this almost two years. And not that that's very long, but I'm, I'm learning more of it every day, just how important it is. Uh, Laura, thanks again for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate your time and, and sharing all this insight with us. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. Josh here checking in just one last time. Wanted to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. And if you want to keep getting more of the Solopreneur Grind content, make sure to join the email list. What I do is send three emails a week with additional content such as what's going on in the background of my solopreneur journey, 
insights I'm having on business and updates when new podcast episodes like these come out as well. It's free. It always will be. The link to join is in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening this to on. Really hope to have you on the list and continuing to share these awesome solopreneur journeys and insights with you as well. Have a great day and hope to see you soon.